0: Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Easy Agile podcast. Each episode, we talk with some of the most interesting people in tech, in agile, and in leading businesses from around the world. We talk all things from building authentic workplace cultures, implementing agile, agile methodology, our new world of work, and more. We have some amazing guests lined up for you this season, and we're really excited to be sharing these conversations with you all. So if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review in your favourite podcasting app. Now let's jump into the latest episode. Hi folks, it's Matt Lawrence here. I'm the COO at Easy Agile and I'm really excited today to be joined by Ray RL. Before we jump into our podcast episodes, Easy Agile would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land from which we're broadcasting today, the people of the Gadigal-speaking country. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and extend that same respect to all Aboriginal, Torres Strait Islander and First Nations people joining us today. Ray, thanks for joining us today. Ray is a collaborative and inclusive leader who loves to inspire and motivate others to achieve their full potential. Ray has 30 years of experience building and leading outstanding multinational teams in Fortune 100 companies, nonprofits, and startups. Also, he's recognized as a leading expert in large-scale agile adoptions, engineering practices, lean and complex adaptive systems. So Ray, welcome! Really glad to have you on the the podcast today. I'd love to to get started by understanding what you enjoy most about being an inclusive leader and working with teams.
1: Yeah, so I've been I've been in leadership probably for about fifteen years, leading leading teams at different sizes. You know, when you have you know the more intimate, smaller teams of you know maybe five or six people uh, upwards of teams that are upwards of a you know several hundred people working within an organization that I might be the leader of and what i enjoy the most about it is just connecting with the talented people that do the work i mean when you go into leadership one of the things that you kind of transition from is not being the the expert person in the room that's you know coding or doing hardware development or something else you have these people who are now looking for direction or vision or other things in order for them to give them purpose in order to kind of move forward with their day. Yeah. And and I, I enjoy coaching. I enjoy mentoring. I mean, a lot of my technical side of me is more nostalgia now, you know, more than it is, you know, relevant with the latest technologies. But it, it's still, there's something rewarding when you see somebody who who can, you know, if you think of Daniel Pink's work of autonomy, mastery, and purpose, that they they suddenly find that they are engaged with the purpose that we're doing as an organization, and then the autonomy for them to just do their day and be able to to work and and collaborate with others, and that that's always been exciting to me.
0: I can relate to that. Yeah, I think in our audience today we're going to have a mixture of emerging leaders, aspiring leaders, and experienced leaders. I'd love to tap into your experience and ideally rewind a little bit to mm-hmm. earlier in your career when you were transitioning into being a leader, and right. I'd love to understand around that time, what were some of the successes that you saw in the approach that you take that you've been trying to uh, repeat over the years?
1: Well, well, I think early on, I think, especially when you grew up through the technical ranks, and and suddenly, you know, at least the company that I was with at the time, very expert-based culture, You know, if you were the smartest person in the room, those are the people that they looked at and said, okay, we're going to promote you to lead, or we're going to promote you to manager or promote you into the leadership ranks. I think looking back on that, I think, you know, Ray 2.0 or Ray, you know, 3.0, whatever version I was at the time that, you know, I very much led from that, that expert leadership stance, which is. Sort of, I know what is the best way to go and approach the delivery of something. Uh, and you know, everyone should be following my technical lead uh, of for for however this product comes together. And I don't think that was really a good approach. I, I think that 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 constrained people uh, because you you ended up being more or less just telling people what to go do versus allowing them to experiment and learn and grow themselves in order to to become you know what i had become you know as a as a senior as a senior technical person and so i think lesson learned number 1 was that leading a team from an expert slant i think is probably not the best approach in order if you're going especially if you think of agile and other more inclusive teamwork type of projects you're going to want to give people more of a more of a catalytic or a catalyst leader type of you know, synergistic based leadership style, so that they can they can self organize and they can they can move forward and learn and grow as an engineer.
0: Are there any times that stand out for you where you got it horribly wrong? I know I've got a few stories which I can happily share as as well. <laughs> I'd
1: love to hear some of yours. I, I think horribly wrong. I, I think is. You know, and, and is the question is, is anything ever really not fixable, not recoverable? And in most cases, most of the issues that we've dealt with were, were recoverable. I, I think that looking at, and again, kind of back into that stance of, well, am I creating a team or am I creating just a group of individuals? that are just taking you know their their work from the manager and you know i'm i'm passing them out like cards you know type of thing I, I think early on the probably the big mistake was just being too controlling and the mistake of that control meant that that i couldn't have a vacation others were dependent versus being you know interdependent on on one another and I think that made the organization run slower and not not as efficient as it could be.
0: I've certainly been guilty of, of that same approach earlier in my leadership career where I became the bottleneck. Absolutely. Yeah, and I re- exactly. recognize that it can be quite hard to undo, but it's definitely worth persevering with. Something else that I, I learned, I, I was fortunate to get some training in situational leadership oh, probably nearly 10 years ago now. And that really opened my eyes to an approach, the way I was treating different people in my team, but I was treating them the way I first judged them. So if I saw mm-hmm. them as an expert and a master, I would treat them as an expert and a master in all things. And right. if someone was less uh, capable at that point in their career, I would kind of assume the same thing. And so I would apply the same level of direction or lack of direction to those people for everything. And in situational leadership, the, the premise for those who don't know at home is you you change your the level of direction that you give depending on the task at hand. Mm-hmm. Have you used that approach or something similar to to guide how you become you know include people in different ways?
1: Well, in order to include people, I think part of it is, is you need to kind of as you as you said you 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 were. Situationally looking at each person and you were you were structuring it in a way that was you know from a a way and approach of very individualized with with somebody. I, I think the philosophy that I not everyone is very open or can communicate very well about you know their skills and their strengths. or in certain cases, some people are they they might be good at something, but they don't exercise it. Because they 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 themselves feel that that's not one of their strengths. So, but in reality, as it is, so so I think that when you're saying from a situational leadership perspective, when you hear somebody place doubt in that they could be the one that could do something or to to take up, say even leadership of something, I think part of that just gets into that whole coaching and mentoring and and really. Setting it up and helping them to be successful through that, and I think from from an inclusive perspective, I think there's there's a set of honesty that you have to bring into your work and and humility about you know being humble about you know even even what you've accomplished, because in engineering in in particular, you tend to see that when you put people into a room the people who are newer will will sit back and they will yield to who they think it has the more experience. And reality is that they came from, say, you know, let's say they just got fresh out of college. They actually might have more skills in a particular area based upon what they just went through in their curriculum that we might not have. And so the question of how do we use the whole organizational brain In order to kind of bring you know all of the ideas onto the table i think at times it requires us to be able to be effective listeners and to sometimes just pause and and allow people to kind of have the floor and and pick up the pin and and not hog the space if that makes sense
0: it really does and i think i've seen that in in every company i've worked in at some to some level I'd be really interested to tap into your, uh, how you go about addressing that scenario. So mm-hmm. for, the, for the people who are listening that would face that situation, it might be the first time they've been a leader and seeing that scenario and observing it. And are there any, is there any advice you would give them to, to help change that dynamic?
1: Well, one, just becoming aware of it. I frequently doodle when I'm in a group of people. and what I'll do is i'll I'll sit there and I'll put dots on a paper of where people are at in the room. And then I start drawing lines between you know the those individual dots if I see the communication happening between certain players. And what it's interesting is is if you watch that over about a fifteen minute period of time, you start to see this emergent pattern that maybe someone's domineering the conversation or they're the focus point of the conversation. and it isn't going around the full room. So then that's when you you know get to be a gatekeeper and you 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 invite others into the conversation and then you politely help the ones who are being dominant in the in the conversation to pause, you know, to just give space and allow those other people to talk and to get that out and then i think you know the the question of whether or not what the person says may sometimes be coherent or not coherent to the conversation or maybe maybe still they're still trying to learn uh, about you know just dynamics of everything you just have to you just have to help to get sometimes to get that out of people, you know, and and use open words to, to to basically open sentence. I mean, open questions to kind of pull that out from them, and I think that works really well.
0: I love that. I'm a doodler as well. I've, I'm I'm an artist for, uh, originally in my, my early career, um, and I I've, I've worked my way into solving problems through tech um, a long time ago now. But I, I still can't. You know, I need that physical drawing you know, to help my mind think as much as anything else. For those of you have been just doodling on, on, on a pad. Um, S- yeah, same here. So, yeah. Something that you said a little earlier, we touched a little bit on inclusivity. In your LinkedIn bio, you talk about being an inclusive leader who loves to inspire and motivate others to achieve their full potential. Right. Something I'm really passionate about is that last part in particular is helping people achieve their full potential. It's, why I love being a people leader and a COO. You get to do that across a whole company. I'd love to first touch on the idea of being an inclusive leader. Mm -hmm. Do you define what it means to be one?
1: Well, inclusive leadership. There was an old bag that I used to have a little coaching bag that I used to carry around with me. And at the very top of it, it said, take it to the team was the, was the motto that was at the top of it. And, and the, at the bottom of the bag, it basically said, "Treat people like adults." where were the two kind of core things that I I I think part of what being inclusive is, is that I have to accept the fact that I yeah I, I, I I'm I'm a smart person, but do we get a better decision if we socialize that around the team? Do we see what other ideas or possibility thinking, you know? Don't sort of the, you know, sort of in the lean sense, you know, make the decision as late as you, as you can, you know, it's more, more towards the Eastern culture of, well, if I keep the the decision open, maybe we're going to find something that's cheaper or better, or even just, you know, uh, more exciting for our customers. And so I think part of that is, is knowing that you, you don't have to be the one that has to make the decision. You can let the team make the decision. And we all, we all, we all embraced because we're empowering ourselves. With this was what we all thought, not just what what Ray thought, which I think is what I think is cool.
0: There's there's a second part to that piece you talk about in your bio around helping motivate others to achieve their full potential. Yeah. The yeah. yeah, I don't know where, where that came from for you that that passion uh, and what are the, some of the ways you look to help emerging leaders reach their full potential.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I was lucky enough when I joined uh, Intel Corporation that Andy Grove was still running the organization at the time. As a matter of fact, he taught my welcome to Intel class. You know, we were at the time when I joined Intel, there was only about 32,000 employees. And, you know, here's the CEO founder of the company teaching the welcome to Intel class, which I thought was was incredibly cool, a great experience to have. And, you know, he really was, he oozed this leadership, whatever mojo or whatever it is he's got going out into the environment, you know, as he's putting this, talking about the company, but he was really strong on the one-on-ones, the, 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 the time that you can spend with your manager or others within the organization, because you can have a one-on-one with anyone within the company. And he encouraged that. And I think that helps to. To, you know, when somebody is trying to figure it out, you know, they're brand new to the company and you get a standing invitation from the CEO that says, you can come and have a conversation with me. I think that sets the cultural norm right up front that this is a place that's going to assist and help me along my career. And I could tell you that there's been a number of different times that those developed into full blown, I'm the mentee and they're the mentors. And in those relationships over time, it's sort of like, then you say, well, I'm going to pay that forward. And, and I start to like today, I have, you know, at least six or seven mentees that have all sorts of questions about how do they guide through their career, or if they had some specific area that they wanted to go focus on. And we, it's their time to pick my brain. And in certain cases, if I don't have the full answer, I can guide them to other mentors that they can help them to grow.
0: But- I love that approach of pay it forward that you you touched on there. It's it's definitely something that I've been trying to do in the last couple of years myself. And I, I've, I wish I'd started sooner mentoring. I've, I've had the privilege of working with some amazing leaders in my career who I've learned a lot from. And it. Once I started mentoring, I realised how much I learnt by being a mentor, because you have to think. You, you have to really think about what these people are going through and not just project your, yourself onto them. And yes. it validates the, the rationale about why you do things yourself, why you think that way, and it forces me to challenge myself. And I think if there's anything, I, I talk to some of the, the, the younger people at work who are emerging leaders, and they're exceptional in their own way. They've all got very different backgrounds, but they uh, a lot of them don't feel like they're ready to be a mentor, and right. they really are. They're amazing people, and I, I wonder: have you seen people earlier in their careers tr- try and pass it forwards, kind of early on, or do people feel they have to wait until?
1: I think it. De- I think it depends. I think you know, one. I think the education system, at least in the United States, has shifted a bit when people go for their undergraduate degree it used to be just they were by themselves they did their book studies very little interaction or teamwork was created for the study i mean back when i got my electrical engineering degree that that was just it was just a me by myself you know there there might be occasional lab work and lab projects but you know it wasn't something that was very much inclusive nor did they have people step up into leadership roles that early I look at now, you know, my daughter, who's right now going, going to the university, and everything is a cohort group. There's cohorts that are getting together. The studying that they do, they each have to pick up leadership in some regards for some aspect of a project that they're working on. So I I think some of the some of the, the newer people coming into the workforce are sort of built in with the with the skills to if they need to take up leadership of something, run a little program, run a project, they, they've they been equipped to do it. I, at least yeah, that's what I've
0: seen. I love that concept. something that I've been observing and I talk about a, a lot with, with our leadership team and our mentor exec teams at the startups and scallops as well. And sure. a lot of the conversation that comes up is around team dynamics, team trust, uh, agility within teams, and to generally try and empower teams, set them up so they can be autonomous, they truly empowered, and they're trusted to make great decisions and, and drive work forwards. You've got a lot of experience in Agile uh, and Agile Transformations, mm-hmm. Agile Leader. In your experience leading Agile teams, those adoptions and those transformations, I'd love to understand if you see there's a, a connection between being Agile uh, as a team, and those traits that an inclusive leader will have. Is there a connection there in your mind between what it means to be agile and be an inclusive leader?
1: I think so, because I mean, if you think of early on, they established that servant leadership was a, was a better leadership style for agile teams. And so I think w- when we talk about transformation, some of the biggest failures that occur Tend to be more based upon not agile, but on issues of trust and other sort of organizational impediments that had already existed there before they got started. And, and if they don't address those, they their agile journey is painful. You know, I've heard people say that they've gotten scrummed before, um, you know, using it in a really kind of derogatory way of thinking that, well, instead of I, instead of getting a team. Of of empowered people to go do w- work within you know the Scrum the Scrum framework, they end up you know being put under a micromanagement lens because the culture of the manager didn't shift and, and the manager is using it as a as a daily way to making sure that everyone is working at 120 percent, versus what we should be seeing in the pattern is that the team understands their flow. They're pulling work into the team; it's not being pushed, and and those dynamics, I think, are, are are something that if leadership doesn't shift and and change the way that they they work, then it doesn't it it just doesn't work in organizations.
0: In the many places that you've worked and uh, coached and guided people on,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you started to come across. There's a term that we've started to, to use of agile natives where people who've really not known any different. There's so, so many companies in the world going through agile transformations and that'll continue for a long time. But as some companies uh, are kind of born with agility at the forefront, have you experienced many people coming through into leadership roles that don't know anything but true agility and you know, really authentic agility as you've just described?
1: Well, I think it's kind of interesting because as you, as you, as you talked about that phrase, I was thinking about it about, well, if you knew nothing else, but I can also say that you could, you could become native after you've been in the culture for a period of time as well. So you can, you can eventually, that becomes your first reaction. Your first habit is, is, is pulling more from, from, you know, the agile principles than you would be pulling from something else. yeah, they are. There are those people, but it's been interesting watching, like companies like Spotify, or watching Salesforce, or watching, you know, uh, Pivotal. And I can just kind of go down the list of companies that have been through, started as an agile organization, they got large, and then suddenly the the anti patterns of a large company start to emerge within those companies. So, even though the people within the smaller tribe are working in an agile way, the company slowly doesn't start to work in an agile way any longer. You know it falls underneath a kind of a larger context of what we see happening with the the older companies. I think some of that could be you know the executive culture might be just coming in where they bring somebody from the outside who wasn't a native and and they have a hard time dealing with the notion that well, we we're committing to a delivery date sometime over here, and we think we're going to hit it. But no, we don't have a what would be affectionately known as a ninety percent confident plan that says that we've cleared all risk out of the way. And yeah, it's going to absolutely happen on that day. and And some some of those companies get really, they feel that they have to commit everything to the street, and if they don't meet it, they've already glued those in to some executive bonus program that ends up driving bad behaviors, unfortunately. Yes. Um, I
0: seen that. Is there, I'm assuming that in our audience, we're going to have people who are transitioning into more senior leadership roles. They're, you know, they're not emerging. Yeah. They've been doing it for a while and they've probably run some successful agile teams at a, a, the smaller level, as you've described. But those people who are moving into the more senior roles, maybe into exec positions, is there any guidance that you'd give them for navigating that change and trying to maintain through agile principles and what it means to be agile as you in the, in those more senior roles?
1: Yeah, I think part of it is 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 the the work that you did as a as a smaller team. Everything still can scale up, and I hate to use the word scale because I think scale is kind of people people kind of use it. What would be the right word? It's, it's, it's misused in our industry. I think values and principles are scale-free. You can still walk each day, walking into your team and still embracing those 12 principles. And, and you're going to do good work. The question is, though, is if there is, if you're doing that at the lower level, say, with a Kanban board, the question is, what does it look like when you're at your executive desk? How does, the, what what is the method that you go pull? If you look at most of the, the scaled frameworks that are out today, there's very little guidance that's given to how, what should be in the day and day in the life of a, of an agile executive, what should that look like? And, and for me, you know, if I think about, well, business, you know, the, the business team, the management team is working with the delivery teams daily. They should be doing that. So, what are you going to put in place for that to facilitate and occur? What What are you going to do about you know stop doing these big annual budget processes? Embrace things like the beyond budgeting or other things where you're you're funding the organization strategically, you know, and you're not you're not trying to lock everything in on a one annual cadence, but yet your organization beneath is working every two weeks. So you should be able to re move your bets with any organization based upon the performance of each sprint can can you do that the last one is probably the most important one is impediments and and that is how fast does it take information to go from the lowest part of the organization to the highest point of the organization and if that takes three weeks two weeks or even even sometimes later for certain organizations optimize that how do you how do you optimize an impediment that you can personally help to go remove for people so that they don't you know they're not slowed down by it any longer whatever that might be
0: you're touching on something there which i i think is a fundamental part of being agile which is that ability to learn and adapt and you can only learn when yeah, you are aware of what's happening around you you can observe right. you know to it. Um, well, uh-
1: I said something a couple of months ago and everyone just went, oh, why did you say, you I can't believe you said that out loud. You know, it's the quiet stuff out loud sometimes. And was, <laughs> we were trying to get a meeting together to go fix one of these impediments and all the senior leadership was, was busy. They were busy. And my question was, is if this isn't the most important thing right now for us, what do you do? What's your job? What really, what, what are you doing in your day if this one isn't the highest priority that you walk into? And, you know, the questioning questioning senior leaders that maybe they're not paying attention to the right things, you know, and, and sometimes speaking that truth to power is is something we have to do every once in a while. I agree. You
0: know, that level of candor is definitely required at all levels. And, being able to receive that feedback so you can learn and adapt as an individual, as we were talking about earlier, about being adaptive as a leader, but yeah, also as a team. Right. There's, there's a point that I'd like to touch on before we wrap up, which is as you climb up the career ladder and, and you, you get into a more senior position and then you become responsible for a broader range of things, particularly as you start reaching that executive level, I've, witness people struggle with the transition from being the person as you talked about right at the start of this discussion being that person who knows everything and who can direct and have all the answers into Mm -hmm. someone who where you're I I see your job changes to being the person who can identify what we know least about what we as an executive know least where we have the least confidence where we see those impediments and we don't know what to do with them how do you go about guiding people to embrace that? Because I, th- I think what, what I see is the fear that comes with that, almost a fear of exposure of, oh, I'm admitting people I don't know what I'm doing and I've been rewarded through my entire career by becoming more of an expert and suddenly my job is to be the person who's confident enough to call out, this is what we don't understand yet. Let's get together and try and resolve it. When the risk is greater, the impact is greater and you're responsible for things, how do you help people transition into that higher level role?
1: I think part of it is you know can they can they let go of 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 that technical side? you know, having to have their hands dirty all the time and I've seen certain leaders that you know really somebody needs to go back and say, are you really sure that this is the career that you're wanting to go to? you know, you seem to be more into wanting to be into the nuts and bolts of things and maybe that's maybe that's the best place for you because you feel more comfortable in that space the other aspect though as they transition i think is again trust becomes critical trust the people that are working for you that they're they're not coming in and 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 being lazy and you have to you know go go look over their shoulders all, all the time because you feel that they they might not be being productive or other things you have to you have to have the ability to say that look, the, the people that you hired are talented and they will, they are moving us towards our goals. I think what becomes more critical for the the, the health of the organization is, is that you have to do a much better job at actually saying, okay, well, here is our vision, whether it be a product vision, whether it be the company's vision, whatever that might be, you know, w- helping people to understand what that North Star is and then reinforcing that not from a perspective of yourself but a perspective from the customer. And I think this is where a lot of companies start to drift because they start to optimize some internal metric that yeah that that will build efficiency within your organization. But what does the customer think? You know, and constantly being able to represent as, you know, if you think of from a, from an agile perspective, the chief, chief product owner of, you know, of, of the organization to be able to represent, this is what the customers need and want, and to be able to voice that in the vision and the, the ambitious missions that are set up for the organization, make it real for people. And then the last part of that is not everything is going to happen and come true. If you read most executives, you know, bios, it's, 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 there's lots and lots and lots and lots of mistakes. You know, there's the, and I I remember this of one leader, he was retiring. And I thought this was the most awkward time that he actually did this. He actually went up on the stage and he talked about his biggest failure. Now, throughout my career working with this person, I always wondered whether or not they were human. And then on the ex- day of this person's exit, they finally decided to give you a few stories about mistakes that they made. And I think that he really needed to share those stories much, much earlier, because I think people would have probably found a l- they would have been a little bit stressed working around him. And it would also show some vulnerability, you know, for for you as a leader to say that you don't have everything figured out. And sometimes it's just a guess. We think that this is where the, where, where the product needs to go. And then as soon as you put it in front of the customers, they're going to tell you whether or not, you know, if you take like the Kano model and suddenly you're going to hit, this is the most exciting thing since sliced bread, you know, are they, are they going to love it? Or are they going to go, Yeah, this is a right <laughs> there. I'll take it if it's free. You know, you get get into the situation where it's like, well, we we can't charge as much, you know. But I think those stories become important and anchor organizations. I think it also, one other aspect of this is I think that by having somebody who's approachable and can relay those stories effectively into the organization and and talk about these things, I, I think then that opens the door for everyone else to do it as well. Because like it or not, humans are hierarchical and are the way that we think about things. A lot of people manage up. So they, they mimic leaders. So be that le- leader that somebody would want to mimic.
0: I think that's great advice, Ray. Uh, the, the connection that's for me to run through this whole conversation is around authentically engaging with, with your work authentically, whether it's the team that you're trying to lead, whether it's the agile practices at whatever scale and level that you're, you're operating at, and to build that trust to enable that to work requires that level of authenticity.
1: Yeah, um, exactly.
0: I would love, as we wrap up, for you to leave any final tips or advice for both current and emerging leaders on that topic. If there's a way beyond just you know, sharing your own personal stories, how, how, do you, how would you advise people? What would you leave them with to, to build some trust in their teams?
1: Well, a couple of things. Number one, you, you have to be mindful about who you are as a person. Again, like I was saying, that people manage up. And, and if you, if you send out an email at three o'clock in the morning and five minutes later, your people were responding to you, then you're not being a really good role model of a good work-life balance. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of your tendencies will, will bleed off into the organization. So regardless how you assess yourself, do an assessment of your leadership, where you think it is. Harvard Business Review a long time ago, you know, put off the the levels of, of of what they saw as leadership models, and the lowest level is is the expert and the achiever based leaders. And if you're one of those, those don't those are not very conducive to a good agile or collaborative culture. So, if you're currently setting in that slant then you should look at ways of being able to, to move yourself more to a, you know, a catalytic or a synergistic based leader. And that journey is not an easy one because I went through that myself. It took years um, in order to kind of pull away from some of those tendencies that you had as an expert leader, you know, and, you know, ex- ex- as an example, uh, an expert based leader tends to only talk to other experts. They don't, they don't, if they, if they, they, Perceive somebody not to be an expert of something; they tend to discount those individuals and not engage with them. And so, again, the full organizational brain is what's going to solve the problem. So, how do you engage the entire organization and and, and pull pull those ideas together? The other other one is that as you as you go into from an emergent leader perspective, I think you said it yourself earlier. And that's not just, you know, the bias of you're not an expert, I'm not going to talk to you, but any bias that you might have can affect the way that you lead and judge an individual and, and really could could limit or grow their career based upon maybe a snap judgment that you might have had. You know, so I think you, you have to, to be mindful of your decision that you're taking within the organization and especially the ones you're making of people. And so you got you to be careful of those. The last one is probably just, and this gets into the complex adaptive system space. Not everything is cut and dry, black and white, or, or mechanistic, meaning that we, do, we can take the same product, redo it again and again and again, and we're going to get different answers. We're going to get different requirements. We're going to get different things. It's okay for that stuff to be there. And, and it's okay for the, the stuff that's coming out of our products to be different every once in a while. And, and specifically because everything is it's a very complex environment. Cause and effect relationships and, and complexity is customer can change their mind. you know, And we have to be comfortable with a customer changing their mind. Our customer might have new needs that come up and likewise you know our our employees you know they sometimes will have you know change of thought or change of what they are excited about how do you encourage that you know how do you grow grow those individuals to retain them in the company not to use them for the skill they have right now but how do you play the long game there and i know i'm getting a little long winded here but the the thing that i see most even with the all the layoff notices that are going on right now is that that's companies not playing the long game that's 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 a i think that's a bad move because all the all you're doing by letting an employee go is enabling your competitor you know with with a whole bunch of knowledge that you should be retaining so anyway uh, I'll, I'll cut it short there
0: Right. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I've really enjoyed the chat. So yes, thank you for joining me on the Easy Agile podcast.
1: Awesome. Thank you for having me.